0: Hey, what's going on, Pinpoint Players? Ramsey here with another episode of the Pinpoint Players. Join again with my friend Tim.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Today, we were just kind of talking over the last couple of weeks about different topics to cover for an episode, just different experiences, and we kind of came up to this idea, just kind of offhand when we were doing another episode for Sonic, actually, which that episode will be coming out uh, around when the movie comes out. For stay, so stay tuned for that one. But we were talking about the idea if video games actually hold up, and And to be more specific, if the old games we played as kids hold up today, like if not just if you and I could go back and play them, but if somebody brand new that never played X game could go back and have fun with X game. And we're going to talk about that today and see if we kind of agree on the points with that and see what are the kind of requirements for something like that to even be possible. I'll kind of uh, kick things off. So my favorite game growing up and my favorite game to this day is Chrono Trigger. It's a Japanese role-playing game that came out, and I think it was 1994, 95, depending on the market was released in, you know, the Japanese American market. And I think, in my opinion, it's one of the pinnacles of 2D uh, RPGs because the art style at that point was kind of the pinnacle of what the 16-bit 2D-focused Super Nintendo Sega Genesis platforms could output. Because of that, it makes it age a lot better than a lot of other games, maybe from that era, even from that same year. And so because of that, the art style was good. The story, I think, was fantastic. Um, and obviously, the graphics were you know, cutting edge for its time in the game. And because of all those factors being the pinnacle of the 2D era, I think it holds up as well today because getting 2D right is easier than getting 3D right, which we'll definitely get to in a second. So... Just to kind of kick that off, that's my two cents on why I think Chrono Trigger probably holds up to today. Like I said, there's another side of the coin to this. And another example of that I would have to say is the Twisted Metal series. But before I go further into that, um you have any thoughts on that, Tim?
1: Well, I do. Um, when uh, we first discussed this, I really took the approach of looking back at the games that we've played and how we played them. Uh, for a lot of the games, it was... For me, it was uh, the Atari, it was the NES, it was the Super NES, it was the N64, the GameCube, the PlayStation 2, the PlayStation 4, the Wii, those are the game consoles that I played games on, as well as, we can't forget, most games started as arcades, so we even got to, I don't remember... Oh yeah, the
0: Simpsons game, you had uh yep, I, yep. Metal Slug Soldier, uh what else? Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of others.
1: There was a couple at uh Showcase Cinema in Woburn. They were the Gunfire ones.
0: Oh, uh Time Crisis.
1: Yes, yes, Time Crisis. Those were the arcade Oh, there was also uh, the Hunter. Those were the arcade games for like fun. And then there was
0: There was also the Jurassic Park one with the uh, wheel where Yeah, or you had to go a, yep, yep. yeah
1: you had a buddy sit in the truck and they drove and then the, your other buddy had the the gun and he had to shoot the dinosaurs. So it was a very uh, multi-platformed uh, route of knowledge that we're going out, uh, out of to come up with these topics. And what I noticed was that a lot of the configurations for the controllers changed. And that might impact how gamers approach wanting to play a game uh or trying to find a new game to play and when i first got the n64 controller that was the first major challenge to me i think it's still
0: awkward to play even today
1: yes it is uh there's a meme floating around the internet that says if a switch if a nintendo switch had a nintendo 64 joy-con controller pattern would it be on the left side, would it be the two controllers with the yellow D-pad and the joystick, and then the right Joy-Con, would it be the buttons, or would the Switch itself be that middle ground, and on the two pads you have <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly weird... what you're talking about. It's it's such a weird controller. The design that they wanted to come up for was uh, for people who had left-handed uh, do, left-hand dominance and right-hand dominance. So they wanted to incorporate that uh, group into gameplay that, that other gaming companies hadn't thought of at the time.
0: The problem so. was, I think they went overboard with that. And I should say, just as a quick disclaimer, apologies for kind of going quickly into Crown Trigger. Um, this is just a very exciting topic for me to kind of talk about. But, but oh, no since y- But since you did mention the controllers, um, because you kind of got my mind racing there with that one, um. Because Chrono Trigger was a more simplistic 2D, just a regular D-pad, four buttons, and then the L and R button for its control scheme, it's another example where I think it ages well today because of that, because somebody could easily go pick it up and learn the schemes for that game relatively quickly because it was pretty simple. Now, definitely with what you just said with the N64 controller, that's a different conversation entirely because I'm going to flat out say it, there are some games I love on the N64 and I will go back and play and play till my dying day. But there are some games that just did not age well and the controller is one of the reasons that's at fault.
1: it is uh the the system that the game has to come out on is actually pretty important to the game play because the way that the system receives input is from the gaming console's controller and each gaming console had a different controller with different inputs most of the inputs were actually the same but the configuration was different for example nintendo had an a and a b button playstation had an x and a square button they that's right they still had the same function x was for a square was for b but they were a different configuration in the mind so if you were playing with your friend you'd say to them no no tap the b button but they would have to look at and be like which is the b button because it's a different configuration
0: and then when you incorporate an Xbox controller, then, then all bets are off because that also has the. Uh, it merged both of them. Well, well it, it does the X. It does the. Well, I'm trying to think of the Xbox controller. Yeah. It does the uh, X, a- Y, A, B. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you could have a B and an X button, and you wouldn't know. Going cross platform, you wouldn't know how to be able to convey it. A great example, and I encourage the Pinpoint players to check this out, is. A short film that Rambo and I actually did, L.A. Noir. Oh, my God. Please
0: look this up, guys. Please look this up.
1: (laughs) There's a scene where the main character is standing outside of a CVS because they're following the character. And Rambo's character says, push A, B. Uh, No, no, no. It was Bobby. Bobby said, um, push A, B what? And you go, (sighs) you'll figure it out. I got to go take a shit. (laughs) <laughs> but we transitioned. We transitioned to Bobby reading a newspaper, like you could do in the original LA Noir game. But we had the title say, "Press X, press A to investigate further. Press B to cancel." But we we acknowledged that in that moment that it was tough for people who were cross-platform to play different games because you were telling your friend, "Oh, when you do this, you have to push B." Oh wait a minute! You have Xbox, so you have to push X, and then you have to do this, and you know, it was that configuration.
0: Exactly that. You know, you're right. It's a it's a cross platform thing. But here's something else I learned many years later. Um, it's so quick, just really quick backstory. The Metal Gear Solid Three game, another great game by the way, that I think actually holds up. But anyway, we'll save that for a Metal Gear Solid special episode. In that game, um, it's one of the few games I played where the X bud because it was a PlayStation game, then it got released on other systems and you've played the PlayStation enough to know the Xbox is the main button, right? So if you want to select something on the menu, you hit X, right? So because it was a, a Japanese-focused game first, and then kind of imported over for the U.S. market, the X button actually was cancel, and the circle button was the action button. And it was very confusing at first when I was first playing that game, because I instinctively would hit X to like select this thing on the menu, but then it would just bring me back to the game. It's like, and I had to train myself to hit circle to be the action button. I eventually got used to it, but it screwed me up when I went to go back and play other games. So I had to like mm-hmm. kind of retrain myself every single time I would go play it and then go play something else because so of the, well, it's because over there in Japan, I've something I noticed something I had somebody explain to me culturally is. So the square button is meant to be the inventory button because the circle, because the square is the shape oh. of paper, basically like, you know, files, stuff like that. The X button, because of the shape, means, like, no go, so cancel. And the circle button is intended to be the, you know, accept, like, continue this way button. So, hence that being the action button.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And that's really interesting to learn because it's, yeah, cross-cultural.
0: And uh, the triangle one did mean something else, too, but I, I don't remember that one. But I just remember those three specifically.
1: That's really unique. And I'm sure that was a nightmare to a lot of programmers who are trying to sort this out for an American audience or, yeah, just a general Caucasian audience as opposed to someone who it was in Japan who was brought up culturally to understand those types of things.
0: Right. And that's the thing here in the U.S. where you see the idea of X marks the spot, so therefore that's the main yeah. thing.
1: Yeah, we, we go there.
0: Exactly. So anyway, fun fact aside, so... I guess with the control configurations, with uh, gameplay and all that, um, I told you mine's Chrono Trigger. I've mentioned that other episodes how much I love it, but I, I'm giving like as objective as possible. By the way, we're biased, but we're going to be as yeah. objective as we can.
1: We're, tr- we're going to try our best, yeah. But we do have some biases, having grown up and played several different games.
0: Right, and I think another one in that same vein that holds up, I think as well as um, is the uh, original first and second, so you know, Gran Turismo games. Like, they were early on. The graphics don't look as good as today. Mm. But I think because of the work that was done at the soundtrack, with the graphics, the lighting on the cars to, to make it feel like you're really moving through the level, I think those games hold up. If Not necessarily graphically, but to be fair, everything on our list that we're going to kind of say wouldn't hold up graphically because this was some 20-plus years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so... What about you? Oh, um. so I was going to say Super Mario 64... Because the two things, well, yeah, the two things that I recognized when I was playing Mario sixty four was when I played with my brother. When we would take turns, I would die. He would take the controls. My brother's left handed, and I'm right handed, so my brother would hold the controller and he would move Mario with the uh, yellow controls. He wouldn't use the joystick, so he'd have it.
0: You can move Mario with the with the C buttons.
1: Yeah. How? I'm pretty. I, I'm pretty sure you could.
0: No, you can't. You you need the C buttons or the camera buttons. Like to adjust Mario's point of view, you, you would hit those buttons to adjust like the where the camera was looking. The only way that's the only way that's not true necessarily is if you can go with the, if you went into the settings to change the controls for people that might have been left-handed, which that which might be the case because um, Mario probably has different Maybe. controls schemes, if I do recall.
1: But then we would have had to switch the controls back every time. Right, yeah, but so that's it can fuck
0: controller. Right. My so memory,
1: yeah, you know, my memory may be deceiving me.
0: It's good that you brought that game up cuz I think even though it's one of the early 3D games, I personally think that holds up.
1: I also agree. The joystick was mainly how you moved Mario. And, you know, a button was very quick to to get used to tap tap tap, you know, three jumps. But the control might come as something of intimidating factor to those who haven't played an N64 before or grown up with it, because it is a very, you know, intimidating controller. You know, if you're used to a Switch or just a two-panel controller, that third obstacle might hurt someone's wrist. It was one of the first to
0: incorporate analog, like the idea of, you know, moving uh, eight different directions versus the D-pad where it was, in theory, four different directions.
1: That's correct. In, uh, actually, in fact, it was, I believe, the, s- the second controller to bring back analog. Uh, video games started out with uh, the joystick and buttons for arcades. I looked into how arcade controls worked. Most arcades had six buttons and one joystick. And the joystick could actually do eight different inputs. They would do north, south, east, west... But the joystick could also register northeast, northwest, southeast, and southwest. So eight different controls. You could send a character up, but you can also send a character up and right at the same time to do like a jump kick.
0: Right, which was crucial in your fighting games. Very crucial.
1: So we started with six buttons and one joystick. And we moved on to the Atari, which had one button and one joystick. What's interesting about the Atari is that it had five receptors and it could only do north south east west and a button so they removed the northeast southeast southwest southeast option for the joystick in the Atari just to simplify it for home use but also as a strategic way to keep players going to the arcade to play their favorite game
0: to get the full experience
1: that's exactly it the full experience you'd uh, at home You'd spend the equivalent of about $1,600 to play the game, to purchase the console, and two extra controllers to play it at home. But you didn't get the full experience because you only had the one button option. And in in the arcade, 50 cents a dollar, and you could do all of the uh, commands and options that were limited from the game's release for the home console. Then we moved into the NES and the Super NES, which removed the Joystick control completely and gave us directional pad, the D-pad, North, South, East, West. This limited a lot of people who are used to a six button configuration playing on the arcade and they were introduced to a new system of movement because they did not have a D-pad as far as I'm aware. We didn't have a D-pad on an arcade system. They might have in other countries, we just got the Joystick. But when PlayStation, I think, came out, they introduced the D-pad as well as the joysticks. So people were brought back to video games, you know, as a whole to control movement with the joysticks as well as a D-pad, incorporating another sensory, another sense of motion. Now, when I was playing Super Mario, I would only limit myself to the joystick and the buttons because that's where... I would focus. Wherever the camera was, I would just accept that that's where the camera would be. In terms of a difficulty, uh, I'm going to bring a a, a game that's a little bit more recent and a little bit more uh, niche. It's got a sort of a cult following market. A lot of people don't agree that this game is good at all. But I personally believe that it is a great game simply because it is the best of the games in its series. And that game is Godzilla that was released on PlayStation 3 in 2014, around the same time that Shin Godzilla was released, uh, the movie. And this game has horrible controls from what people have told me, but I've gotten used to them because I love Godzilla. And what you have to do to control Godzilla is use the L1, L2, R1, R2 buttons to move his legs. That's just one function. You have to use four buttons to do one fun- one function. L1, R2 to move his left leg. R1, L2 to move his right leg. And you have to do that over and over to get him moving. And that's slow. And then you have your directionals to either move his body or his head. And then you have to charge his atomic breath by holding B. And then you have to adjust where his head is at and then release the button. And then once you release that, the charge lets go. And it doesn't stop until the charge meter has run its course so if you're not ready and you let it go and you're not in the direction you're pushing the l1 button to shift him over to the left but your atomic breath is going it can be challenging but there are a ton of YouTube videos where people have just absolutely mastered the movement in the game. They're doing Showa-error movements, where it's like Megalon does a jump up, and he does an uppercut, and then he does a kick, and then he does a spin. These movements can be unlocked through button smashing, but there's a chart, if you guys are interested. <laughs> if there's a chart where you can learn the pa- the button passion- the button patterns and try and hit them like in an arcade games to get those special movements going. I I don't think that people would adapt to this sense of controls or this game unless they were absolutely passionate about Godzilla and Godzilla games like I am.
0: Right. That's the thing.
1: Yeah. I just don't see it. I just don't see it happening.
0: That reminds me of a story that's so topical to what you just said. So people found the controls jarring and people didn't like them because they were just so different. But it kind of made it for a more immersive game from what it sounds like. But the other thing this reminds me of. So in 98 or 99, so we're talking end of the PS1, like, you know, when Dreamcast was about to fade away forever, there was an Alien game that was released. I can't remember the exact title of it, but in this Alien game, it was the first instance of it being maybe on PC or console, or maybe both at the time. But I it was PC up. It was that first twin stick configuration, like that you're everybody's used to from shooters today, where you have your one stick moving you forward and backward, left and right, and then your other stick being the direction. Game Informer IGN, I can't remember which publication, published in a review saying how bad the control scheme was, how stupid it was, the idea of like having this twin stick configuration instead of like the old school you know, mouse and keyboard or the one joystick configuration, basically lambasting it, saying that this will never catch on. This is stupid. This is very hard to get used to. Like, I don't see why they made it this way. And it's just funny reading that review. I remember reading that a couple of years back, seeing that that's just now the de facto standard. But at one point in time, people hated it and thought that it just wouldn't catch on.
1: Yeah. Now that I think about it, GoldenEye, Perfect Dark. Those it. Yeah. They were... They were the first first-person shooters that I played, at least. And I remember you would have to use the joystick as the directional, but also as uh, the main character, the way that your character moved. But left and right were also directional, uh, as opposed to being that one sole function for one of the joysticks.
0: And that was the standard at the time until the late 90s, early 2000s, because I think just once you got into the early Call of Duty, Medal of Honor eras, I think that's when they started adopting this twin-stick layout. But anyway, um, getting back to just, you know, the topic at hand, that's another example, where I think, in some cases, games that predate this uh, standard um, might be jarring for some players that never played, like, Goldeneye or Perfect Dark, because they don't remember the before, in terms of the, you know, your, your character, where they look, where they shoot, etc. So for them, it's jarring. Like, Somebody that didn't play Goldeneye back then, like we did, trying to go back and play it now, will just get lost. Like, they'll not have a fun experience. They'll not enjoy it. For them, it's not going to be fun because it's going to be so different. Forgetting the fact that Goldeneye, when you play with more than one person on the screen, aka single player, it starts to get really laggy. That's the thing. It's. Yeah. That game, as much as I love it, as much as I'm nostalgic about it, that's one week I can say as objectively as possible. I love that game. I can go back and play maybe a copy of my 64 just for chits and giggles, but I think it did not age well at all. Like, I think the only thing that aged well about it was the fact that it was the first really big console shooter, but I'm saying even me going back and play it today, I can see all the chinks in its armor. I can see all the rest spots, but I love it anyway.
1: Yeah, me too. But that com- from the, that love for uh, from us comes from growing up with it, and that being the best of the best, the pinnacle of the time. Kids today, and this is another point that actually may deter gamers, prove us wrong anytime, guys. Another thing that may deter gamers from playing older games, A, the quality of the graphics, uh, there's memes all over the internet. I'm sure you guys have seen them. You should probably check out our Instagram. We've got a couple of memes up there as well. There's a couple of memes that say like, "Oh, gaming has reached its peak. It's never gonna be better than this." And it's you know just like boxed wrestling dudes, some WWE who has just a stuff, terribly yeah. Drawn face. Yeah, and it's just terrible. But I had a moment like that when the GameCube came out. When we, uh, my brother and I played Luigi's Mansion I looked at Luigi's Mansion and I was like this is so real like these graphics are r- like I'm, I'm really Luigi but looking at the graphics now compared to like Playstation 5's oh my god or, <laughs> or even just new graphics. PC titles I
0: mean like The Witcher 3 being an example
1: yes yes they're so flawlessly detailed. Water, water nowadays in games is so real. The
0: clothing like, on the players, like the fiber uh, was, of like the hairs, on it's just ridiculous.
1: You can see all the individual little fibers on a piece of cloth in a person in a game nowadays, whereas opposed to in the GameCube era and before it was just a, a clean slate. But... I don't think, and like I said, guys, prove us wrong anytime. I don't think that people, the gamers nowadays, have the patience for that. And one thing that I've noticed is nerfing. How many games nowadays have been nerfed to support players who get frustrated or upset about That's something? True. That's Classic totally true. Classic example in Pokemon. If you got to the Elite Four and your Pokemon had three HP and They did, you know, and the opponent's Pokemon was faster. You lost the game. I (laughs) lost the game. But you lost the game. They whited you out. You started back at the Pokemon Center, and you had to defeat the Elite Four all over again. Today's Pokemon game, I recently played uh, Pokemon Shield. And I got through the end. I haven't caught Calyrex or the Galarian uh, Legendary Birds because I like the... Thought that they're free in my game, but I got to the end of the game. I got all the DLC. I beat the gym leaders, the Elite Four, the Champion, all of that. And what I noticed in Pokemon uh, Sword and Shield is, well, first of all, I never lost a battle, which is amazing. But half the reason that I didn't lose the battle was because there would be this animation where my Pokemon would give me a heart, and it would say, "Oh." So-and-so didn't faint because they love you. Why does it have to say that? You know what? My Raichu loved me and my Pokemon Red, but he (laughs) fainted every fucking day. They nerfed all of the games now that kids are playing, and I assume it's because of the amount of frustration. There are tons of videos on YouTube and the internet of gamers Flipping their shit, throwing the Wiimote. Well, that was a different story, but, you know, throwing things on the ground, destroying their controllers, just literally flipping their shit, being like, I hate this game.
0: No, no you, you don't. don't. No, you I don't. You just suck game. at this game because, because we come from an era where uh, we had to figure the game out. Like, I remember th- there are a lot of games like that. I mean, I could name dozens of examples, but I'm going to name one right now. Final Fantasy III, there was a part in the game where I played it for a while, then I think family went on a trip for like a week. Actually, it might have been longer because I had to live between both parents. That's another story. So, as a result, I played Final Fantasy III, then I came back. I had no idea what I was doing because I played other games and done other things since then. I'm like, I don't know where my character... I don't know where I'm supposed to go next. I don't know who I'm supposed to talk to because in those games... um, you're talking to people; their conversations happening, and you're supposed to pay attention to that because it tells you, like, go talk to this person, this city, for the next thing to happen, basically. And in the meantime, you're gonna have to level up. Okay, great. Except I forgot all that, so I'm pa- basically wandering around, going, "Where do I go? Who do I talk to? I'm lost." And <laughs> I'm not joking; for I feel like days. I'm like going around the map, trying to figure out who I talk to next. And then I just went to this one town. I walked into this one place, and then I was prompted by the game, like, because the character said, aha, you're finally here, come back, we have much to discuss, and then from there I was able to continue the game, but I was lost, there was no, and today, there'd be some directional marker to say, oh, go here, talk to this person, like in Skyrim, but I didn't have that back then, like, in all my games, I had to figure it out, and more so if you didn't have the guidebook, you're really figuring it out.
1: Yeah, and... Through the advancements that games have made between the games that we played, we gave those companies feedback as to things like that happening in our games. Oh, I just lost control uh, of so-and-so, and and now I'm soft-locked. I can't do this anymore, so I have to restart the game, but I don't want to. And gamers today have it easier than we did. And that's one of the things that I think would deter a gamer today from playing an older type of game. Because it's not easily explainable, you know. It's not immediately right. handed to them. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk softly about this next example because um, I'm still on bad terms with this individual, so I won't name them. But I lived with some dude who day one of getting what was it? The Assassin's Creed that took place uh, in uh, Greece. Odyssey. Odyssey. Day one of Odyssey, he had the gold emblem sword he had the flame sword he had the flame riding horse he had uh, some sort of god suit he was essentially like zeus or something he was a, he was a god day 1 he's doing the first mission and he's already a god and i'm like what are you playing the game for if you have all of those like items the that challenge? give you boosts you know you can kill exactly like day one out of the box, he has all those things. There's there, there would be no patience today. I don't think, especially since if you buy the Supreme Ultimate Collector's Package Edition Supreme, you get it all. So what's the point of playing the game? <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna spend seventy dollars for the side skin. Note, um, that just that know? reminded me of Superblock. You get it all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, apologies. Folks, that was um, a really old high school reference if we have a long time in the future we'll maybe explain the backstory but <laughs> I'm sorry anyway. Go, go on, Odyssey. Yeah, he gets it all.
1: It's an ama- it's an amazing deal. You get it all. So, when we played games Dude, we played games to unlock unlockables. We played games because the story was great. We played games because it was challenging, and we got a sense of accomplishment overcoming those challenges. I got another one. In video games.
0: No, another one that's just along the same vein. Um, Example I want to give. Another one where you kind of just had to, you had that sense of accomplishment for beating it. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I mean, I could say this about all of them, but specifically that one. On the last level... You don't have any rings, because you know with Sonic, if you get hit, you lose his rings. But as long as you collect a couple, you can basically get hit again, and you're fine. Just as long as you have one ring, you won't die from getting hit. The last level, you have no rings. You have to defeat a sub-boss, which, if you don't hit him in the right spot every time, you'll die. you have to start all over again. And then after that, on the same life, you fight Robotniks, and he's in this, like, suit, where, again, you have to hit him in specific spots, because if you don't, you'll die. Which is already tough enough. But at this point, you're at the last level. You may have only a handful of lives left. So you have only three, maybe four chances, depending on how many lives you have to get it right. And you better get it right. Because if you don't, you're starting the game all over. And even if you have continues, you have maybe a few continues to work with. And then after that, you're done. That's it. You're starting all over from scratch. And I had to do that multiple times to beat Robotnik. And I didn't have, oh, auto saves. I could just try again. I didn't have save states. This is it. This is your one shot. You put in three, four hours to get to this point, and if you lose, you gotta do it all over again.
1: Yeah, the, I guar. Well, I'm not gonna guarantee, but I think that a lot of the gamers would not be able to do that, especially with all of the amenities and luxuries that games just come with now, nowadays. One of the things that I really appreciate. About my favorite game, Thirteen, is that it it was a newer version of a first-person shooter. Fun fact: It was one of the first to incorporate triangle uh, graphics as opposed to squares. They divided a square into a triangle, and they realized that you can cut the 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 size of a dimensional space in half, or by you know cubing it just by triangles so they were able to let me
0: ask a question yeah did it because of that did the game run a little bit smoother it did. because essentially it was half the work okay was. I, was, I was just curious on that one
1: it ran a lot better than a lot of the games that used uh squares and other objects because they were able to cut that object in half and say that that one object is a thing so they were able to create more dimensions at less cost storage wise in space so the game ran pretty well Not only on uh, GameCube, PlayStation, and Xbox, but it ran very well on PC, which was its intended launch platform. It wanted to be a PC game. And it actually runs pretty well on PC. Don't buy the remake, but buy the remake to get the classic. Please don't buy the remake. Yeah, it's overwhelmingly bad,
0: (laughs) which... Just buy the classic. Just buy the classic version if you really want to play it on Steam. Yeah,
1: it's a lot cheaper, and it's a better game, but... Hey, look out for our uh, adventures uh, in 13, a YouTube series that we're hoping to start uh, with me, your host, Tim Bradley. Anyway, uh, one of the things that was tough about 13 was its hitboxes, they were much more precise, and you could die very easily. First, first of all, health was sparing in that game. You would have to go through an entire level with fifty bosses, or not bosses, but fifty enemies, with better accuracy than you, more powerful guns than you, and just a relentless sense of uh, a relentless sense that they were after you. Uh, the same way that GTA, Grand Theft Auto, had the police difficulty set way high, 13 did the same those thing games, with their enemies.
0: Those game, those early GTA games were a lot tougher because. Um, you couldn't save midway during the mission. Like you're just you have to do the whole mission and then save right afterwards, otherwise you lose you lost all your progress. Yeah.
1: So imagine doing that, but with one health one health like kit, and it wasn't even a full health kit. It gave you like twenty five percent of your health. So if you're down at twenty five percent and you use your health kit, you're now at fifty percent, but now the enemies around you can do thirty damage to you. So two shots kill you and you have to do the whole level all over again. What I really appreciated about 13 was the reward at the end was understanding more about the story. So as frustrating as playing 13 was years ago, it was worth that
0: it. That sense of accomplishment.
1: Yes, it was worth it. It was that sense of accomplishment that I am good enough. I have trained by going through the level dying so many times. I've got a better understanding of the game. I mean, the whole point of this podcast was to understand how we can take elements of games and game ing, gaming and apply it to our everyday lives. And what we learned gaming growing up was if you if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Don't discourage yourself cuz the games never nerfed, you know, there weren't nerfing Elements in our games. When I played Pokemon Gold, didn't matter. If I killed Lugia, he wasn't coming back. Like, in the games...
0: Games back then had to be tough because there was no DLC. There was no extra content. Like, the games had to be tough. There might be a new game plus for some, like, role-playing games, but they had to be tough to make your worth your money. If it was easy, wow, I'm angry. I just spent $50 on a game that... It took me four hours to beat, and it was insanely easy. Yeah. With no collectibles, nothing.
1: Yeah. What would be the point to play that game? You know, there would be very little sense of accomplishment and reward because we're not learning anything new. It's a very easy game to play. It'd be like um, paying $75 for the deluxe Supreme Collector's Edition package with the gold uh, metal-plated video game box of Tic-Tac-Toe. Like, would you be willing to play... S- pay seventy dollars t- for an online version of tic tac toe because it gave you some sort of super duper skill and oh my god if they you know,
0: for some people yes, <laughs> and for some people if they throws if they throw in one of a kind NFT, still yes.
1: Yeah, I I don't I don't doubt that those people are out there in the world. My my concern for them is how they'll make it through the rest of life because. Life isn't going to stop, rewind, and go, listen, we're going to give you this gold-plated armor, we're going to give you this gold-plated sword, and we're going to make you invincible. All right? So now you can go in there and do the interview, and you're going to get the job.
0: That just makes you uh, entitled. But but the one, there's one other thing I wanted to say just to kind of tie it all back together, because at the beginning we asked, what makes a game kind of age like a fine wine versus, like, a bad milk. Mm. Like, as it gets further and further away from time, like, what makes a game where somebody that didn't grow up in that era today could go back and play a game from that And What I kind of said at the beginning, what you said up at the beginning holds true. The controls are good and simple. If the graphics were at the top of their, you know, mark back then, because they make a lot of retro-esque games today that you saw on Steam that are pixel art. So somebody that likes that kind of stuff today... We'll kind of be at home with some of the games that we played as kids. They'll be tougher, but they might enjoy it. Now, I said that with a caveat that, like I said, some of these games don't walk you through it. If you get stuck, well, you're stuck unless you can find like a guide online that tells you what to do, which, thank God they, they even have that, because I didn't have that. Because if I get stuck on a game today where I absolutely am completely baffled what to do next, at least I got YouTube. I got game facts to fall back on, but I didn't have that back then. But anyway controls the artwork being at the pinnacle and you know just be, any games that were mold breaking back then yeah have kind of a staying power like yes the old Mario 64 game graphically yes it's old you can tell it's from the you know data it's from the mid 90s but it was such a good of a mold, good mold breaker game and its gameplay is so addictive that it survives to today um in the in the way that Goldeneye doesn't, for the same reasons we describe it, it's like we find it fun, but throw it to some young Gen Z kid or older Gen Alpha. I think they'll get frustrated at it. They'll stop playing at it when they start when they keep dying the level and they won't understand like, you know, the strategy, like the clunky controls. Another one I was gonna mention earlier, the Twisted Metal series. I love that vehicle combat from the old Twisted Metal games. They're my favorite. And I wish they would make more Twisted Metal games on a side note in general. But somebody that wasn't used to it we'll find the driving controls a little bit clunky, switching to different weapons a little bit, you know, tricky because they're trying to do it on a pinch while not getting shot by other cars. So, and that's and that's the point. It's games that were at their, I think games that were at their pinnacle of their era, like 2D era, 3D era, mold breakers, I think those games can go back and be had fun by uh, Gen Z and Gen Alpha. But I think anything that falls out of that category, I just think is just a frustrating endeavor. And... And I say that as a fact, so for the past couple of days, because I have my Super Nintendo Classic, I've actually been going back and playing Donkey Kong Country. I never owned the game as a kid. I never actually played it a whole bunch. I, very, I played it very sparingly at friends' places. So I understood the game. I understood, you know, what it was, the nuances and all that. But I had a blast going to play it. But again, I think it's another example of that game was a great 2D platformer. The art was clearly very good for its time and the style of gameplay, the collectibles. Like, it makes it a fun game to go back and play these days, and I think somebody from this era could go back and have fun playing that because it's very simple in its h Well, it's still a tough game, but it's tough in a sense of accomplishment type of feel. Yeah, Not tough in a we're going to screw you type of way. Yeah, not
1: not like an EA game.
0: But that's a different type of game. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's that's exactly what I mean if it's... If it fits those categories of what I just talked about and what you've brought up. I think the rose tinted glass, the expression like it's rose tinted glasses. I don't think it applies here. I just think they end up being good games for the future. Golden is the rose tinted glasses type of game, though.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, one thing I'd actually like to mention is that uh, the type of genre game would also play a factor. Some people are good. Some people are good at fighting games. Some people are good at racing games. Some people are good at shooting games. And I think that. If a person took the time to research different types, they would be able to learn about the older types of games, the newer types of games, uh, something that breaks the mold. Like we were saying, was it Call of Duty? Was it in what way? What Call of Duty was it the first dual?
0: Oh no, it was a, it was a, it was an alien game. Um, I don't remember the name, but it, but I do remember the game informer IGN review, saying it was a, an alien game. I don't remember what it was called though. Okay. came on the late 90s. But Yeah,
1: it changed the directional so that there were two joy Joy-Cons, uh, joysticks, one for direction and one for camera. I think that it would be an interesting thing for someone who's particularly focused on a specific type of genre game to look back on the type of games that were in the genres. They might find older games challenging but just as fun or interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's it's all about what the w- person's willing to put up with, and it's that should be an obvious duh. But it's true because some people don't have the patience, some do. But something else I thought of when you were making that point, just talking just now, is um. So something I actually wanted to ask um. We've talked about our favorite games at different points during the entirety series of this podcast. I've mentioned Crown Trigger numerous times. You've mentioned Thirteen numerous times. So I've given my thoughts on Crown Trigger. So with that, um, do you think Thirteen, like the original Thirteen, not the remake? Has age well enough where somebody from a younger crowd would get the same enjoyment as objectively as possible, given your bias?
1: (sighs) Objectively as possible? I would hope so, but I also doubt it. The reason I doubt it, like I was stating earlier, um, the enemies in the game get more difficult the more you progress in the game. So it would be very frustrating for somebody who doesn't, utilize their health kits very quickly or properly uh, the gameplay gets more difficult as you progress through the game so if you're not really invested in the story and that's what 13 is really all about what drove me to play the 13 what I found rewarding about it was advancing the story learning more about who 13 was
0: let me ask a question uh just on that just on 13 itself um gameplay wise do you have to make it through the whole level and life or are there at least checkpoints like along the way
1: there are checkpoints but
0: but they're kind of far between few and far between yeah right? like oh, okay
1: some of them are very close to the end of the level because that is where the level gets very difficult so you go through an entire level and then you get to the checkpoint and then you have to defeat just one more area and then you're done with the level so it, right. that's usually uh, that's usually how it was so it was very frustrating and very difficult to play. But when you got used to the system, when you got used to the level where the enemies are, where the ammo, where the guns are, you kind of just, you know, do free form play like most gamers are doing today. Something that I recognized with Super Mario is that there are a lot of people, a lot of younger people playing the N64 Super Mario version, but they're modifying it, they're modding super mario to do other things but this isn't just with mario they're doing it with other games too like um grand theft auto 5 uh, pokemon they're doing mods in red dead redemption as well oh they're doing some funny stuff yeah they are they're they're taking older games and they're applying an advanced skill set to improve the game or make it more enjoyable to their liking or an audience they're they're
0: the complete experience
1: yeah and it's and it's really groundbreaking because we sort of had that growing up. We would invite our friends over, and our friends would help us get through the game, or we would take turns, each of us playing a certain part of the game. and that was something that we experienced playing the game they've today's generation has also sort of done that as well their Their audience is, you know much much larger than our own was. But they've found something about these older games that they can improve upon, which is a sense of enjoyment for them. It's also probably a sense of accomplishment. And I think that there are elements in older games that the newer generations of today and tomorrow can find enjoyment in. And it's just about finding what works for them in its, yeah, in its entirety.
0: No, 100% agree. Last thing I wanted to say before we leave it there is um something that you also mentioned that I didn't think about before, but I think a game can be picked up by somebody today and age well, find it, be found enjoyable, everything I've said, depending not just on the controls, the graphics, maybe the story, but I think the genre is also key because I think mm. the old games like your old 2D fighting games or old 2D role-playing games, I think those ones age well. To today just based on like the simplicity the style i think those ones age more like a fine wine and i think other genres are kind of unfortunately don't have that same pedigree i think like a game like um, like maybe some old uh, adventure games have not aged well like the old tomb raider games from the playstation mm. one sure they were kind of a mold breaky type game but even if they were mold break ish the controls are garbage in that game like how you you know, you fight other uh, creatures. How you navigate the level, like there are nuances that you have to like to jump a certain block. You have to like step back exactly a certain number of steps to be able to make that jump, and you have to time it. the It's it gets kind of crazy. It's one of those games where unless you're come from it and you're willing to kind of commit to that trial and tribulation, it's not so easy for somebody to pick off. So I think that's the other thing is I think those old school two D games are going to be given the most leeway. Than some of the early three D games. There are exceptions, Mario being one of them, and then there are of course your anti exceptions, like uh, another one is Castlevania for the N sixty four. That was a terrible game that tried to transition to the three D era and it failed miserably, and the reviews panned it. And then it's the funny thing is its two D counterpart on the PlayStation one is one of the most renowned games of its era. It's it's what helped spawn the name of uh, Metroidvania games. You know, the, level, the ones where you have a map, you try and navigate through the level, you try and go around and explore different areas, mm. upgrades. That's the funny thing to me, is the one that went 2D ended up being the memorable one that's aged like fine wine, the other one aging like a really terrible foul-smelling milk. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's all I wanted to say, Yeah. That the genres. One
1: last thing that I'd like to say is, going off of your aging, aging like a fine wine, the rose-tinted glasses, time, we really do need more time to pass in order to really get an understanding of it time will really ultimately tell the same way that either IGN or Game Informer were we're still unclear which one who reviewed that alien game they were could also
0: been GameSpot but anyway yeah go on yeah
1: we were unclear about the publication but the publication that trashed the dual joystick directional one for direction and one for uh moving your character they ultimately trashed that. They said that this is, you know, garbage, people won't get used to this, this is something new and different. But as time progressed, it became the norm. And although what we think gamers may find frustrating or difficult or, you know, things that they'll hold on to because they absolutely love the game, the genre, the story, the controls, the graphics, time will ultimately tell, you know, what gamers... Who play older games who haven't been experienced to grow up with it will ultimately enjoy about the games and having a, a podcast and a platform to openly discuss that is really exciting. Just like you're
0: saying, time will tell. Right now, we say, like you said, twin joysticks configuration were trashed. Now it's praised. I think we're about to get that with some sort of VR setup. Mm. Right now, it's so early days that we have no idea where it's going to go. That's but a good point. Yeah. We're, but we're going to see it unfold in the next few years and we're going to get all those articles about this is the trash like set up for it. This is the real setup, but we'll see. I think we're in another um, frontier for that. So we'll definitely uh, be keeping our eyes on that one. Absolutely. So while we keep our eyes on that, if you liked what we said on this, today's podcast and you like our content, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts because that greatly helps us with outreach and gets to new people like you to listen to us. Same thing with Spotify. Give us a follow there. Help us get to a new audience.
1: Yeah. And check us out on Instagram. We're a part of the gaming community on that platform. We've shared wonderful memes. It's also a great communication device for us to reach out as well as you to reach out for us. So visit us on Instagram at pinpoint players. You can also reach us personally through our email system, which is cleverly disguised as pinpoint players at gmail.com. So send us an email and let us know your thoughts.
0: And with that, thanks for joining us in this conversation on, well, just all things gaming, roasted glasses and whatever. And we'll see you for the very next episode.
1: Take it easy, Pinpoint players.